I was reminded uh, this week, and uh, Fred reminded me again um, just a little bit ago, and he's talking about you all bringing in in socks, and, and uh, I remember years ago, I think it was about 2005, I was leading a uh, youth mission trip to Uganda, and we had to raise a lot of money. We were trying to figure out how to raise the money, and I had heard about some other mission trips who had recognized how generous the men of Amen Bible study were, and they had, and I had heard that they had done this thing where, where uh, you came in and if you dropped your shoes off there, um, they would shine your shoes during the time Amen Bible study was taking place, and then you just go ahead and and donate to them. Well, I knew we couldn't do the shoe shine thing because somebody had already taken that for the year, but I thought we got to figure out some way to tap in to the uh, generosity of these Amen men. So we came up with this idea. This group of uh, high school students and I, we came up with this idea that, oh, you know what we need to do is we need to tell the, the guys at Amen, hey, listen, when you come in that morning, if you want your car washed, you just drop it off with us, and during the time that you're at Amen, we'll wash your car. And uh, we thought, this is great, and you know, we got our team together, we had our buckets, we had our hoses set up, and uh, we thought, this is going to be awesome. And uh, some of you are laughing because you, you remember what happened. Uh, so you came in, and you like, hey, this is great. I'd love to have my car washed while I'm at Amen. And uh, you guys started dropping off your cars and started dropping off your cars and started dropping off your cars. And I'm like, this is, we're going to reap in, we're going to rake in so much money. This is going to be amazing. So we, you, you know, Amen gets started, you know, and, and we, we start washing cars. You know, we pull the first car up, and we're hosing it down and washing it. And then we pull the second one up. And at the second one, I realize we're 15 minutes into one hour, amen. We have, uh, we have about 45 cars to wash. <laughs> and it hit me then, we're in deep trouble. <laughs> and I'm like, I realize we've got two hoses. We need like 30 hoses. We've got 10 high school students. I need about 45 high school students. We've got five buckets. I need 50 buckets. And I'm just... I'm in a sheer panic now. You know, it's now 10 minutes till 7. We've washed like five cars. We've got 40 more to go. And uh, I'm just sending high school students around the parking lot trying to, you know, get hose extension just to hose down your car. I said, just make it look wet. Just (laughs) maybe throw some suds on the side and think, oh, they didn't get all the suds off. That Just anything that looks dirty, wipe it down. I was so overwhelmed. I'm sure when you all got there, out there, some of you were thinking, well, that's the most expensive uh, uh, hose down of my car I've ever received in uh, my whole time here. Absolutely overwhelmed, no way out of it. What we're looking at this morning is, is definitely an overwhelming in Psalm 40, but it is, uh, it is not as, as humorous as trying to come up with what you're going to do to wash 45 cars in an hour. It's actually pretty intense. Um, David talks about this pit, this pit of destruction, this, this uh, as he puts it, this, uh, this slimy pit, this miry bog, literally in the Hebrew, it's this idea of not having footing, of sinking down, and having wave after wave crash over you. And I don't know what it is for, for, uh, for you right now. Maybe this Christmas season, maybe this December, um, Maybe you're feeling okay. Maybe you're excited. Maybe you're at peace. But this this week, just over the last three days, I met with a, a man who is, uh, 
who's been in a, in a battle for his marriage for over a decade. And he sat there with tears coming down his face just saying, I don't know what else to do, Todd, and I don't, I don't know what else to do but just to keep going. Um, I, know I, I know I'm not supposed to, to divorce her, but we just don't have a marriage, and we, we haven't had a marriage in over a decade. And, uh, and I, he goes, I don't even know why I'm here in your office. I don't have any questions. I guess I just need encouragement. I talked to another mother uh, just, just yesterday who with tears streaming down her face said, you know, a little over a year ago, my daughter, my adult daughter who has, has our grandchildren said she wants nothing to do with us. She goes, somehow I offended her. I, I don't know how. I, I want to repair it. I want to reconcile it. But she, she's just stopped. She won't talk to us. It's been over a year. And, and, and I don't know what to do. And she goes, I'm not, I'm not even here. I'm not even here because I think you have answers. I, would you just pray? Would you just pray for me? I talked to a guy on Monday who said, I, I, I'm, so, I'm so sunk low in my business, I don't know how to get out. Some dumb decisions I've made that are just overwhelming me, and I, I, don't, I don't know how to fix it. Talked to another guy on Tuesday who said, well, I lost my job. Lost my job, and I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure what's next. Um, but I know right now I'm, uh, I'm, move, I'm moving back to my hometown because no reason to stay here. I don't know what that's like for you, but this is what David's experiencing here in Psalm 40. But here is the hope. Here's the good news. And there is good news. It's exactly what Jerry said. Listen, God has for us a new song. And, and David's intent in this psalm is to reveal to us the hope that we have. So let's read this psalm and dig deep into uh, these great words from the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I, proclaim, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you, did, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. 
O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. As we begin this amazing psalm, uh, and you might have noticed I messed up in the words a few places because this psalm has meant uh, a lot to me. In fact, um, uh, it has been for me probably um, uh, words that describe my testimony. If, if, if David's testimony is in Psalm 23, Todd's testimony is in Psalm 40. And I memorized this in the NIV translation. And then about 10 years ago, we switched to the ESV. And so I, in particular, these places, I really mess up the wording. As we begin this psalm, we realize a few things. First of all, this psalm is from David, so it's King David speaking these things. And actually, if you were to read Psalm 37, 38, and 39, and then 40, you would see a progression. You would see how David, is, his thoughts move in that direction. Also, some of you who may have read a little bit about this psalm uh, in, in a commentary or know something from it being taught in the past, you will recognize that the last verses of this psalm Verses 13 through 17 are actually identical to Psalm 70. So Psalm 70 in our Bibles uh, is just the exact same words of Psalm, uh, uh, verses 13 through 17 of Psalm 40. And of course scholars want to say, well what's going on with this? And there's some different thoughts. Critical scholars who don't believe in the inerrancy of scripture would say, oh this is just piecing together uh, uh, different, different uh, uh, poems uh, Jewish poems, and they put together uh, verses 1 through 10 were part of one poem, and verses 11 through 17 of Psalm 40, and they've just jammed them together. Actually, I just don't think that's accurate or can, be really, um, uh, can really apply to this scripture. What I think is most likely is what people would say is either Psalm, David wrote Psalm 70 first, that was a song of his own that he held on to, and he is adding that, or he's putting it here, in Psalm 40 because it's his new song. It's the new song he had from his testimony. Or it could be that Psalm 40 came first historically and David is again saying this was my new song, the new song that God gave me as a result of my testimony. But either way, I think these two things complement each other. And probably the third thing, if some of you have studied this or, or uh, have heard about this before, you realize that verses 6 through 8 of Psalm 40 are actually quoted in Hebrews 10 and attributed to Christ. That these are the words Christ said. And then becomes the question, is this psalm about David or is this psalm about Jesus? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is this psalm is about David. This is, and we'll, we'll go through verses 6 through 8, you'll understand a little bit better how is it that it can be about David and be about Christ uh, we'll see that it's beautiful. That's the good news for us. That's the gospel for us in these places. Well, first of all, Roman numeral one verses. Uh, uh, actually, I should have said not verses one through three there, but verses one through ten. Roman numeral one. The Lord has delivered me. David is recounting in verses one uh, through ten a past event, and he's speaking about this 
hit this miry bog. And if you could read it in the Hebrew, you'd understand two things about what David is describing. He's saying, my circumstances are like being thrown into a, a, a pit that just has uh, almost like quicksand, mud that you're not sure where the bottom is. The walls are slippery, so I'm sinking down. In fact, every time I try to take a step to get out, I actually sink deeper in it. But not only that, it's not just a pit that's causing you to not have footing. It's actually a pit of destruction or a pit of tumult. The Hebrew there is this idea, you're in a pit and you're sinking down and you don't have sure footing. And not only that, but you're having wave after wave after wave crash over you. And so it's not just that your own circumstances have put you in a bad place. You've got outside circumstances just hitting you constantly. And that's why it's translated here, pit of destruction, this idea that it's over and over and over again. And David says, I waited. And actually in the Hebrew, um, I was telling uh, Bill Jurgensen this, this yesterday morning, in the Hebrew, it's literally, I waited, waited. Double waited. He's saying, I waited intently. It was the focus. It's all I had was to, to wait. What, what's going on with that? David is saying, I, in humility, number one, in humility, I've, I can do nothing. I can do nothing but wait. So I'm going to wait intently. He's also saying, number two, and when you wait, when we wait for the Lord, it's about, it's about hoping in Him. So waiting intently is both waiting in humility, recognizing I've got nothing to offer to this, and it's also waiting hopefully. Look what it says just above it in Psalm 39, verse 7. David writes this, And now, O Lord... For what do I wait? My hope is in you. So waiting is an act of humility, saying I've got nothing. It's also an act of hope, because my hope is in God. I'm, I'm trusting. I, wanna, I want you to do this. I'm looking to you. And then David talks about the rescue that took place in his life. And it's fascinating, the five things he says. He says, first of all, God saw me. God saw me. He looked at me. Let me just say this this morning. If you're, go, if you're in a pit right now, maybe it's business, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's, maybe it's that, you, that you're not married, maybe it's something with your kids, maybe it's something with your grandkids, maybe it's that you lost your job, maybe it's that your own sinfulness has put you in a place where you don't know how to get out of. Let me just say, God sees you. Brothers, God sees you. David said, he, he saw me, he looked on me. And then he says, secondly, he heard me. He hears me, he hears my prayer. Sometimes when we're waiting intently and we feel like we have no footing and there's just wave after wave, does God even hear me? Yes, brothers, God hears us. David says, he heard me. And then David says, he lifted me. David's not doing anything. David didn't climb out of the pit. David didn't get out of this. He said, no. I had nothing. All I had was a cry. I'm just crying out. God saw me. God heard me. God lifted me. And then fourthly, he says, God set my feet. I couldn't set my own feet. I couldn't get a footing. Every footing I got just sunk me deeper. But God saw me. He heard me. He lifted me. And he set me on a rock, making my footsteps firm. And then he says, fifthly, he puts a new song. 
Literally in the Hebrew, it's, it's almost identical to what we have in the New Testament when we have the word gospel. It's good news. God set in me, he gave me a song of good news, a song of deliverance. What's David's song of deliverance? Probably Psalm 40. This is my song. This is, this is my testimony. God has given me a testimony that he did something that I had no chance of doing. He saw me. He heard me. He lifted me. He set my feet. And I want to tell you about it. I have a song now. I have a story. I have a testimony. And in that, verse 4, David begins to reflect on what God has done and reflect on what he has learned as a result of God's rescue. And he says in Psalm, excuse me, in verse 4, he says, happy, blessed, happy, steady, steady is the man, happy is the man, content is the man who makes, that's a choice. David says, happy, steady, uh, content is the man who chooses, who makes the Lord his trust. And doesn't look to the proud, which was, a, which was a term given to Egypt. Doesn't look to the powerful. Remember how David's kings, I mean, excuse me, Israel's kings were constantly tempted when they were attacked. They were tempted to go talk to Egypt and say, Egypt's powerful. They've got an army. Let's make an alliance with them. And, and Isaiah, in Isaiah uh, chapter 30 and 31, warns the kings of Israel, don't do it. Don't go down and make a treaty with Egypt because you're afraid and you want to look to the powerful. David says, no, content and steady is the man who chooses to trust God and not the powerful. Who chooses to trust God and secondly, not those who manipulate. Not the liars, not those seeking a lie. Think of, we talked about this in, in one of my favorite and most convicting uh, passages of scripture in uh, Genesis chapter 32 when Jacob for oh, after all these years after cheating his brother out of the uh, out of the birthright and he's going to meet Esau and now Jacob is very wealthy remember what happens remember what we talked about said that uh, Jacob and this has been his story his whole life he's terrified to meet Esau so what does he do he makes a plan and then it says in about verse 8 and then he prayed so convicting because what he should have he done? He should have prayed <laughs> and then make a plan. Jacob's temptation constantly was to look to the powerful, to look to the manipulative, rather than to trust God. As David reflects on God's rescue, David recognizes, no. Content, steady, happy is the man who makes, who chooses the Lord as his trust and does not look to the powerful, who does not look to the manipulative for strength, but to trust in the Lord. And then out of that, verses 5 through 10, there's this response, three things that come as a result of David's rescue and as he reflects on what he has learned. The first is this, verse 5, there's praise. He just starts praising God. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. He's just bursting forth with worship as a result of God's rescue in his life. And then in verses 6 through 8, there's this personal dedication. So there's praise, and then there's personal dedication. He says there, listen, I know you don't want just ritual, but you want my heart. 
You don't just want me to go through the motions of sacrifice. You actually want me. And I want to give you me. And so David says, I want to be this man, verses 6 through 8. I want to be the man who gives you his heart. I want to be the one who has your law written within my heart. I want to be that person. And he, David, it's like he promises something about himself that frankly he can't fulfill. <laughs> David is so moved by God's rescue that in his worship, he just burst out and goes, I'm going to be committed to you forever. <laughs> I'm going to always have your law written with my heart. I'm going to always trust you, God. I'm going to always be this man who's not just going through sacrifice, but who gives you his heart. And what do we know about David? Yeah, he didn't always do that very well. <laughs> so what's going on then with Hebrews 10 when it says, and Christ said, and then quotes this exact thing. What's going on is this. The good news of the gospel, we understand this side of the cross, is though that David wanted to be that man, he couldn't be that man. But here's the good news. Jesus says, I'll be that man for you, David. In fact, I'll be that man in your place. In other words, David, I'll live it in such a way and connect to you in union, in such a way that you actually will be that man, David, because I was that man. That's the good news for us, brothers. That Christ isn't just that, that man and we go, yeah, I need to be more Christ-like because Christ was... No, listen, Christ's work has been placed in our salvation to our account. So in Christ, we are that man because Christ is that man. So that personal dedication, David says, I want to be that. And Christ says, you know what, David? I'll be that because you can't. And then when I'm that, you're that. Personal dedication and, and out of that, finally, a proclamation to others in verses 9 through 10. David wants to proclaim. He's dedicated and now he wants to sing that new song out loud. I think one of the, I think one of the, we've talked about this so many times. Sandy Wilson's talked about this for, for, you know, two decades. The beautiful thing about you men singing here is the practice that we get as men so that we can sing in our churches. Because there is, there is maybe very, there is very little as powerful in testimony as men, especially grown older men in worship, singing out loudly, especially when we're not very good at it. You know, we have a talent like Rob Lydon. Of course we'd have confidence to do that, right? But for those of us who've never fancied ourselves singers, to be in a worship service and, and to, to have the, uh, the spontaneous worship, the, the dedicated worship to proclaim to others a new song, even though we might not sound very good, is an incredible testimony. A testimony to our sons, our grandsons, our daughters, our granddaughters, to everyone around us. But all of us on our own, because of Christ, if Christ has rescued you, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus there this morning, you have a song, you have a testimony. You have something to proclaim to others. David says, I want to proclaim God's steadfast love. Remember what we said several weeks ago, every time in your NIV translations that you see the word steadfast, excuse me, ESV translations, that you see the word steadfast love, 
That's the word hesed in the Hebrew. That's covenant love. That love that, that God has said, I'm, I'm committed to you. I'm setting my affections onto you. I'm bound to you. David says, I want to I sing. I want to proclaim to everyone your steadfast, your covenant, your hesed love, and your faithfulness. What does he mean by faithfulness? You're, that God, that you are an enduring promise keeper. I want to proclaim to everyone that I know personally. Let me tell you my story. God is a, it loves me with a, with a steady, a constant, a committed covenant love. And he is an enduring promise keeper. I can tell you this because I mess up every day. Let me tell you how the gospel comes to me every day. And that's what David says. I'm going to proclaim that. That's going to be my song, my word. And, and, and we have wrapped up for us in verses 1 through 10. This is the Lord, and this is what he's done. He's rescued me. So what in the world's happening in verses 11 through 17? This is what's happening. David's saying, I'm back there again. I'm back in the pit. How do we know he's back in the pit? Because the words that we see in uh, uh, verse 12 are almost the same exact Hebrew words that are, are used to describe the pit in verse 2. David's saying, I'm back in the pit again. So Lord, you have delivered me, verses 1 through 10, and now he's saying, verses 11 through 17, Lord, please deliver me. I've proclaimed your steadfast love, he says, in verse uh, 10. And then he says, Please let me know again of your steadfast love for me and your faithfulness for me. And then David describes the pit that he's currently in. And it, it appears from verse 12 that the pit that David is currently in is a pit of his own doing. Clearly his own sin, the consequences of his own sin have put him in this place. And it's almost the exact same words of verse 2. This idea that I, I'm in this, I'm sinking and every step I try to take to get out of it, I sink deeper. And I can't get any foothold anywhere. And not only that, but there is wave after wave after wave. I can't even catch a breath. And I'm sure David, on top of all that, is just feeling humiliated. I've had this testimony. God, you rescued me. You set my feet on a rock. Here I am again. I'm back in the same place. And I'm overwhelmed. And I need you. I need you to come get me again. In his humiliation, he says... And those words are so gripping at the end of verse 12. My heart fails me. Man, I talked to this week. He talked about his marriage. Half of his tears that, that, that afternoon. Where he said, he said, Todd, I've done this. I've done this to my marriage. I see my sin. I don't know how to undo the damage of my sin. 
another man I've known for a long time, a few months ago, talking about his son and their broken relationship. And he says, Todd, I, I did it. I, I, I destroyed him when we were in, when he was in middle school and high school. My own, my own brokenness and my unrealistic expectations and my demand that he would fulfill something that I needed in me, I, my own sin caused this damage. And I don't know how to undo it. That's what David's saying. My sins are more than the hairs on my head and my heart fails. Not only am I in a pit, but I'm in a pit again. And not only am I in a pit again, I'm in a pit again because of my own sin, my own rebellion. And then he goes on, there must have been something, verses 13 through 15, when he talks about my enemies. There must have been something public about David's pit. Because David goes on to talk about those who delight in David's hurt. Those who, those who would say, I told you so. Yeah, look at that guy, David. I told you he couldn't really fulfill verses 6 through 8. Told you he wasn't really dedicated to the Lord. Certainly, the evil one, Satan, when we fail in our sin and we end up in the pit again, those are the voices that come. That, that's the voices. Satan and his demons coming after us and saying, see, you can't be dedicated to the Lord. See, you don't deserve his favor. See, you can't really be a man of God. And David's saying, my enemies are delighting in my hurt. They're delighting that I'm stuck. They're delighting in the fact that, I, that my heart has failed. And David's feeling the weight of that. But what does David, David do? He doesn't look to himself. He doesn't look to himself to fix it. He doesn't say, David, you got yourself in this mess. Now get yourself out of it. No, what does he do? And what does God's word tell us to do? Look what it says in verses 6 through 7, 16 and 17. He turns to the Lord. He starts talking about who God is. He doesn't look to himself. He looks to the Lord and he says this. Basically, he says, verse 16, Lord, you be glorified. You be glorified. I want, I want your glory to be uh, supreme here. He doesn't, in fact, he doesn't even start with deliver me. He starts with God, glorify yourself. In my pit, in my failure, glorify yourself. Let people look upon you and say, God is great. He appeals to the glory of God. And then he says, I'm helpless, but you're my help and deliverer. I'm helpless, but you rescue me. David steadies himself in the midst of his pit by saying, I'm going to compare what I am to what you are. And that's going to steady me. I'm going to be able to go, wait a second, I'm helpless and needy, but you are my help and deliverer. You are the one who needs to be glorified, not me. And David appeals to that. David steadies himself with that. We don't know. We don't know if, if David was delivered right away. He's saying, God, don't delay. That's how he ends it. Please don't delay. But we don't know. If, was this at the beginning of David having to wait, wait, be intentional about waiting? in humility to look to hope, or was it near the end? We don't know. 
But David's stance and waiting was this. God, glorify yourself in my life. I'm helpless. Please deliver me again. We know from the story of David's life that he delivered David again and again. We know from our Bibles that God delivers again and again. I saw, um, had a message from a, a longtime friend. His name is Jim. He was a youth pastor up in the Washington, D.C. area at a very large church. He was, for me, a longtime uh, uh, both vocational and spiritual mentor. And uh, Jim tells a story of when his oldest son um, was about two, three years old, um, somewhere around the time when his son was uh, getting potty trained completely. Um, but uh, when, when his son went to the bathroom, he still needed his dad or his mom or somebody to, to wipe him. I mean, he was, he was a little kid. He was helpless. He was just learning this. And Jim tells the story that his son says, uh, they're in the house, and, and uh, he says, I need to go to the bathroom, and I need to go number two, and takes his son to the bathroom. He says, you know, would you just, you just call out when you need me uh, to, to help come wipe you? And he says, no, Daddy, I'm going to do it myself. I'm a big boy. I can do it myself. And Jim said, okay, great. And they lets him in the bathroom and closes the door. And Jim says, uh, you know, it's been about five minutes. I knock on the door and I say, hey, are you okay? And his son says, yes, yes, Dad, don't come in here. Jim says, okay. A couple minutes goes by, he knocks on the door. Hey, are you okay? Do you mean come and wipe you? No, no, Dad, I can do it myself. Don't, don't, don't come in here. Don't come in here. Well, let me give you the scene in the bathroom. <laughs> His son, trying to wipe himself, gets some on the, on, the, on the toilet seat. And then he doesn't know what to do, so he's trying to, he's trying to get that, and he goes to grab some more toilet paper, and he gets some on the wall. And then he gets some, and then he, he turns around, and he, Jim says he must have turned around and got something on the bathtub, and now he's still trying to grab toilet paper, and it's getting more on the wall. And he doesn't really know how to wipe, so even as he grabs toilet paper, he's wiping, it's just smearing it. And as he's doing this, his son starts to get in sheer panic. Two things are going on probably with his son. Number one is he's making a terrible mess of mom's bathroom. And he is in deep trouble. Number two, the more he works at it, the worse it gets. And he doesn't know how to fix it. And then he starts feeling ashamed. How does, how does Jim know he starts feeling ashamed? Because now it's been 10 minutes. And David is, I mean, uh, Jim is pounding on the door and he says, Hey, hey, son, let me in. Let me. No, dad, and he can hear him. He's, he's crying. No, dad, don't come in here. Don't come in here. You can't come in here. You can't come in here. So ashamed. Ashamed, afraid, and helpless. Jim said he finally went and got the you know, little coat hanger thing where you can stick it in the hole and get into the bathroom. And he walks in the bathroom. He said, it was a mess. 
He said it was on the walls, it was on the bathtub, it was on the toilet, it was on all the toilet paper, it was smeared everywhere, it was on his son. His son is just sitting on the floor with, with it all over him, just weeping. And just said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And terrified, he said, my son was so scared. He said, I didn't know anything else to do but just to, I just went over and I sat down and I just wrapped my arms around him. And I, when I did, it got all over me too. And I just held him. And he says, as I did that, he said, I started to cry because I thought, I wonder, I wonder how many times God has done this to me. And just gotten it all over him. Brothers, God's word tells us that the Lord will come again and again and again. Isaiah 40 says, the Lord has provided double for all our sins. Double. Romans 8 says, if the Father has given you his Son already, how will he not, along with Christ, give you all things? You're in a pit again. It's your fault. Just cry out to the Lord. He'll see you. He'll hear you. He will lift you. He will set your feet. And he'll give you a song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth that comes from your word. Lord, we don't have to come up with clever things, clever ideas to enhance your word. No, Lord, it's right here. And I thank you again for this powerful testimony of humbly sitting before your word that these men give each week. And thank you again, Father, that you remind us of your steadfast love and of your enduring promise-keeping. Lord, help us to walk out of this place this morning and to sing that new song, to proclaim it to people, to tell people our story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.